Hi, this is Mary Guzman, CEO and founder of Crown Jewel Insurance, and welcome to our next episode of Cover Your Assets. Today, the star of the show is Phil Antoon, Managing Director of Alvarez and Marsal, and he is going to share with us the value of valuation. I'm excited about this part of the discussion because the valuation process has been key in developing the confidence of the underwriters to put capacity behind an insurance product that covers the actual fair market value of trade secret assets. Um, and most companies today don't really spend a lot of energy thinking about the value of their trade secret assets other than when they are having to report those values for tax purposes when they may be moving assets around internally within a company between subsidiaries or overseas, for example, or when they are potentially thinking of licensing some technology or moving into an M&A transaction. But just for regular homegrown trade secret assets that aren't being sold or bought or contemplated for that purpose, a lot of organizations sort of ignore those, which is interesting considering that there are a lot of reasons you might want to value your trade secret assets, even separate and apart from the insurance. Several of those are that, first of all, if a company doesn't know the value of its trade secret assets, which are, by the way, the crown jewels of the company in many cases, then how can you apply the appropriate risk management protections around those assets? By valuing them, you will perhaps be able to reallocate resources and reprioritize the protections you're putting around those assets and shift some focus and some money internally to do things differently. Second, by valuing those assets, especially if you've never monetized them before, you can dramatically improve the performance or the, the, your balance sheet. And so when you're going into an M&A transaction or looking for funds or an investor, you will be able to show them far greater value on your balance sheet than if you don't value those assets. The third reason is if you have solid valuation protection around those assets, then you can insure them. If you can value something and show that it's protected, then you should be able to insure it, theoretically. Um, this has not been doable until now, and we are happy to say that we are the first ever policy that provides the intrinsic value of trade secret assets from an insurance perspective. And then finally, once those assets are insured, then the proceeds of that insurance can be used potentially as collateral against which you can secure improved financing, alternative financing from lenders and investors, assuming that these assets can be liquidated quickly if the insured becomes insolvent in the absence of misappropriation. So there are lots of reasons aside from tax and M&A purposes to value trade secret assets, and I hope that you will learn a lot today as you listen intently to my friend and partner, Phil Antoon. I'll turn it over to you, Phil. Thanks. Thanks, Mary. So I, I, my goal here is not to teach everyone how to value a trade secret. It really is just to ensure that when everybody walks away from, um, from the call that they have a comfort level that there are supportable methodologies for valuing trade names, or trade, sorry, trade secrets, and that 
these are put into place every day. So, because that, to Mary's point earlier, we always get the question, can you even value a trade secret? So, in, and obviously, as we're talking about today, the answer is yes, and they are valued on a regular basis. And as I mentioned in my um, comments earlier, even if you look at publicly traded companies that obviously possess significant numbers of trade secrets, that value is, is being recognized in the public market. When companies are making acquisitions of, of businesses that possess trade secrets, they are paying for those trade secrets. If they weren't paying for those trade secrets, they would pretty much just go look at the, the net book value of the tangible assets of the company. But that's not what occurs um, in reality. Companies are paying for the intangible assets, including the trade secrets. And as mentioned, we value trade secrets for a variety of purposes. And for example, we may conduct evaluation of a trade secret for tax purposes. Companies are frequently moving their intangible assets within their own legal entity uh, structures. When they do that, they have to ascribe a fair market value to the trade secret. And when that occurs, we will provide an independent fair market value, and there is always a possibility that a tax authority, the IRS, it could be a non-U.S. tax authority, are going to come in and conduct a very detailed review of that valuation. So it, these are valuations that are not just put out there. These are valuations that essentially are uh, often reviewed by taxing authorities as well as by accounting firms for financial reporting purposes as part of their, their independent audit review process. So they go through very rigorous reviews on a, on a regular basis. So now I just want to talk about methodologies to valuing a trade secret. You have two, two possibilities of the trade secret. Possibility one is that it's helping to generate revenue. So you've got a product in the market that is driven in part by a trade secret, or you have a product or a process and a trade secret is enabling to, to essentially um, help to reduce the costs or help to increase the revenues, provide the pricing premium, whatever it may be, there is some attributable cash flow stream um, generated by that trade secret. The other bucket is we're not yet generating revenues. We've got a trade secret. We know it's valuable. Somebody would love to have it, but we're pre-revenue. Does that mean there's no value? There is value. So if you have a trade secret that's pre-revenue, it does not mean there's zero value. So in the next few slides, I'm going to chat about how we value trade secrets where we can attribute some revenue stream to it or some, some type of income stream to it. And I'll also chat about the situations where we don't have an income or revenue stream and, and how we go about capturing value. So there are essentially a few different ways to value trade secrets utilizing an income approach. And an income approach basically, regardless of what type of approach you're using, pretty much says, how much income can I generate from this trade secret or in part from the use of the trade secret? Or how much can I save by utilizing this trade secret? And in a simplistic view, you're looking at the 
future income generating capability attributable in part to the trade secret, and you're calculating the present value of that future income stream back to today. It's very similar to, if anybody's seen, a discounted cash flow of an overall company. It, essentially, that's what you're looking at, but you're modifying the approach to a trade name. Trade secret, sorry. <laughs> we value trade names all the time as well. So I've listed three here, multi-period excess earnings method, relief from royalty method, and with and without method. And I'm going to go to the, uh, in the, in the next slide, we talk about just a little bit of detail of each of those three methodologies. So the multi-period excess earnings method, the MP, essentially what this method does is it, it's really useful for a situation where a trade secret is the primary intangible asset of the business. And the approach says, we we're generating an operating profit from the business. We're going to basically say, here's my total operating profit, and I have other assets in the business. I have working capital. I, have, uh, I may have property plant and equipment, and you're, I have employees. You're essentially taking and applying charges for the use of those other assets. Really similar to saying I'd have to go out and, and lease um, my fixed assets, or I'd have to lease another intangible asset. And what you're doing is taking those charges, those expenses attributable to those other assets, and deducting those from your operating profit. And what you're left with is essentially a cash flow stream that's attributable to the trade secret. And you're looking at that cash flow stream over the life of the trade secret. Some trade secrets have a short life, some have a very long life. And at the end of the day, without getting into all the, the, the details, you're able to take those excess earnings, as we call them, take an after-tax um, amount, and bring that back to today. And what you're left with, essentially, is the fair market value of the trade secret. The a second approach, relief from royalty. This is a common approach for licensable assets. Think about patent technology. Think about trade names. The same goes with trade secrets. Companies are regularly licensing out or in intellectual property assets. Whether they're licensing in a brand name or a patent or a trade secret. And essentially what it's saying is the value of the trade secret can be connected to the license rate that a third party is willing to pay for the use of that trade secret. I'm willing to pay you, or I'm willing to take 5% of your revenues and you can utilize my trade secret. And again, it's a relief from royalty and it's the same premise as the MP and that you're looking at those license payments and bringing those back to today at some risk-adjusted discount rate. Another approach we can use is called a with and without. It's basically looking at the cash flows of the business with the trade secret in place. So it's essentially saying, here's where I am today, here's where I'm expecting to go into the future. Let me look at my cash flows in the future. Then you have a second scenario that says, well, what would my business look like if I didn't have these trade secrets? 
and all of a sudden I'm going to have lower cash flows. So you're looking at that second scenario and you're recasting your cash flows, essentially looking at the effect without the use of the trade secret. The difference in the cash flows between those two scenarios essentially pinpoints the cash flows attributable to the trade secret. And again, we can go back to doing a present value calculation of, of those incremental cash flows. There's no one size fits all. And we try to look at as many different approaches as possible. We go in, we look at the nature of the trade secret. We look at the nature of the business. We look at available information. And again, whenever we have a business where projected financial information is available, the, your, the, the best method for valuing a trade secret is looking at the future income generating capability of that asset. Some people ask me, well, why can't you use a cost approach to value a trade secret if they're generating income? The reason is that the trade secret has developed value well above the cost that were put in to develop that trade secret. If they use a cost approach when you're generating income already based in part on a trade secret, you are going to undervalue the trade secret. Which brings me to my, um, my next um, example, cost approach. We deal frequently with companies that have trade secrets but have not gener generated any type of revenue. At that point, there's value. What we're looking at are a, a couple of items. We're looking at what were the total costs expended to date in bringing the trade secret to its current position? Important point, we're looking at costs that were expended on wrong turns because the premise is if somebody came in to buy the, the trade secret to where it's at to date, essentially they're going to benefit from not having to take those wrong turns. If they tried to replicate the effort, they're going to make wrong turns. So there's a, a, a good argument that the owner of the trade secret should be compensated for the fact that they took those wrong turns, but it led them down the appropriate path. Now, people may want to argue, do you include all those costs? There's always a little bit of a gray area there, but must keep in, it must take into consideration the fact that all those costs should initially be considered. From yeah. there, it's a function of, Oh, that. Yeah, Philip, that's what I was when I talked about the protection of negative know-how as a trade secret. Uh, what what doesn't work, you know, uh, is often uh, as valuable as what the solution was. All the time, effort, and money, to, and all the blind alleys and all the wrong turns is is often very critical. The WD forty exactly formula. The first thirty nine experiments failed, but. Water displacement experiment 40 uh, worked, and and to this day they have a monopoly on that um, in that formula. Exactly. So Mark's point dovetails directly into how we view and capture value of a trade secret. It's that those wrong turns do actually add value. So now you've gathered all the costs expended. You you apply to those costs to that time some uh, fully loaded blended hourly rate, and you can apply that to the number of hours that have been expended to develop the, the trade secret to date. Also, at that point, you don't want to sell the trade secret just at that price because there's a return. 
So the trade secret has value above and beyond the cost that were expended. There's value associated with the fact that um, there should be some type of profit and return on top of the cost. There's a time, there's a time to market. If, uh, if, if somebody else tried to replicate what was done already, even if they could, it's going to put them X number of years behind entry into the market. If they come in and buy the trade secret today, they're that much closer to market entry. Thus, you need to apply some reasonable return on top of the cost expense. And again, this is an approach we use frequently for companies that either are pre-revenue or just can't put pen to paper yet. Maybe they're generating a little bit of revenue, but can't put pen to paper on the future income generating capabilities. So for me, that's it. In conclusion on the valuation, we, we value trade secrets all the time. There are methodologies that have been in place for, for, for many, many years. And, um, and, and we're very comfortable ascribing value to trade secrets for this specific purpose. Thank you so much, Phil. That was great information. I really appreciate it. I hope the listening audience now appreciates that the valuation of trade secret assets is important for a lot of different reasons and that it is not nearly as subjective as most people think. And having Phil's participation regarding the valuation of trade secret assets has been a critical piece of pulling together crown jewel protector, including the insurance capacity that we have, which is capacity that's backed by Lloyd's of London. If you want to learn more about the insurance itself and the legal remedies around trade secret protection and all kinds of other fun stuff, please listen to our other podcasts in the series or visit us on social media, including Twitter, LinkedIn, our YouTube channel at Crown Jewel Insurance, or our website at www.crownjewelinsurance.com. Thanks again, and thank you, Phil.